All right. Let's get you to make your way back to your seats. We're going to jump in here. Let me, as you're making your way back, let me say good morning to everybody who is online with us. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here on this team. And are you excited to be in church again today, everybody? This is good. This is good. Hey, I got, a, I got one thing that I, I need to do, actually, really quickly, because this is something worth celebrating. Uh, we, we have someone in our church right now who's sitting in the back row of the entire building, and this last week, she represented Team Canada, or Team BC, across Canada and won a gold medal in wheelchair basketball. Elise, stand up. Stand up and wave to me, Elise. There she is. Gold medal champion. <laughs> I love it. She's in the very back row. Okay, so like it's tough for some of you down here to see her, but she is. She's a champ. We're proud of you. Way to represent. I love that. So well done. Uh, you know, I, welcome to church today. I, I, how many of you through February enjoyed story time? Did you, did you have fun with the flannel graph board? And, and, and I realized that we're changing series today. We're going to a brand new series called Church and State. And so I, I thought that, you know, like with having to walk away from story time, let's just bring something else fun. Let's talk about politics. So like, <laughs> let, let's, let's do this now for the next month and, and, and have a little bit of fun. So to do that, I, I am going to literally jump right in today with, with a verse. And this is Jesus talking, and he says this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Will you pray with me as we've read the word? Father, thank you for this new series that is upon us. I pray that you will teach us in this time of what you need us to hear and to align ourselves to these words that you have spoken. I've called you to love. And that love is going to prove to this world that I exist. So help us today, Jesus, to know what this means for us individually and collectively. And we'll give you honor and love you. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. amen. Now, this series comes from a culmination, believe this or not, of a couple years um, as we have watched the landscape shift over time, this has been in my heart for quite a long time. We've alluded to certain things when it comes to church and state, but I'm ready to dive in for this next month. And I hope that you'll join us for the rest of this month. In fact, I hope that you'll join us again next week. I'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Tim Schindel, Leading Influence, who is in government houses across our nation with leaders. It's going to be a fantastic conversation about how do we deal with politics in our country? What do we do? How do we do it? So we're just getting started with what's happening here today. But I want to make a disclaimer before I even begin today, and the disclaimer is this. The message that I'm about to speak is for people who would consider themselves to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to you specifically today. Um, for those of you that may be in the room and you're not a follower of Christ yet, or you're online and not a follower of Christ yet, that's okay. I'm just glad that you're here actually taking some time with us. But I am going to address this to people who say they love Jesus. And I'm going to start by saying this. I'm sorry for the way that this has gone down in a lot of the ways that we have seen. 
Over the last number of years, I've watched in my own nation polarization. Have you noticed this? I've noticed this thing called cancel culture. And we have kind of wrapped our lives around vaccines and trucks and masks and residential schools, um, throwing friends and family away at the expense of an opinion. We together have studied last year the book of Revelation, a deep book on politics, on the state and church. We've been currently in the book of Daniel. And I don't know, I thought, you know, I just really wasn't ready to let it go yet. But so I brought back story time today, just one more time. But take a look on the screen and you perhaps would remember this from the very first Sunday of story time. This dream comes from Daniel chapter 2. It was from King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the imperial ruler leader of the nation known as Babylon. He had a dream. And in that dream, this was the picture. And this dream was, was symbolic of who he was. But what it was doing, and this is neat that God does this, that in the book of Daniel chapter 2, God outlines the rest of history and politics in this picture, if you didn't know that. What he's talking about with the head of gold is King Nebuchadnezzar. It was the Babylonian kingdom. What came next was the Medes and the Persians, followed by the Greek domination in the world, followed by the Roman domination of the world, which is most of the story of the New Testament. And then the last piece are the feet. And the feet are symbolic of what we live in today and what is still yet to come for an empire and a policy that is going to come upon us and it's going to sweep across the world. So we have been studying these things for quite a long time, and we have read these books that are steeped with imperial regime, and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Many people would, would like to take the phrase that I've used, church and state, and rip them apart, saying that they cannot coexist together, and I'm going to agree to disagree with you right now, if you believe that. I believe that the church and state are so intricately intertwined when I look at the word of God, that we want to have a conversation that is wrapped around. I don't think we can separate church and state. They belong together, and it's going to be important for us to take a look at this. Society gives us what is known as the seven pillars. Perhaps you've heard of it, or the seven circles of influence. And I've put them up onto the screen for you to see, but you'll notice that one of those spheres of influence is this word called religion. And this is where faith is. And you'll notice that is just one of the elements of everything that is happening around here, government, family, arts, media, business. But we read last year together as a church that out of Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, Jesus also had a, a group of seven. And he stood around this, the seven churches as we read. And what we noticed out of 1, verse 13, was that Jesus was in the middle of it. The thing that I don't like about the picture I'm showing you today is that we have just isolated faith and religion as one of the things. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is in the center of all of those things, and he holds all of them intricately well. He's in the middle. And I have to be honest with us today, like coming into this series, I have done a lot of preparation, not to you know, make me look any sort of way, but I wanted to be prepared and to be ready for what I'm about to say here today. And a couple of great resources that I read, uh, one came from Andy Stanley, a book called Not In It to Win It. And then another book that I read from Scott McKnight was titled, um, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is Not. And I actually wanted to use the title today, Jesus is Lord, 
Justin Trudeau is not. Now, for those of you that want to applaud or say amen to that, that's the exact reason why I'm not using the title. Because you're in the exact place for me to come at you with scripture today. So welcome to church. Plato said that the function of politics is to help people to be good. And I see a gap here, maybe in our culture. If politics really is meant to be that, um, man alive, I've seen a lot of not good things in the last number of years. Rufus Miles had the privilege of serving in three different American presidential administrations. Rufus Miles then created what has become known as Miles' Law. And Miles' Law says this to us today, that where you stand depends on where you sit. What he means by that is that our cultural context, the place where you sit, determines our perspective and where you stand. And this is brilliant wisdom, actually, because this is what I am about to say. Is all of you in this room online, you stand somewhere when it comes to policy, politics, imperial. You all have been framed a certain way to believe the position that you believe, and thus you stand on something. Now, this season, though, that we're in in March is a great month. March is, is a beauty for so many reasons. Number one, March Madness begins next Sunday, Selection Sunday, uh, and I'm ready to go. It's basketball. If you don't like basketball, deal with it. Um, like, it's just, it's great. I was born in this month, okay? So this is a good month for all of us. Thank you for your applause. I appreciate that one person. <laughs> And it wasn't even my wife, nor my mother-in-law who's visiting. Like, seriously, get better, people. Uh, <laughs> but March, and the reason I love March is because it's taking us to a direction of this thing called Easter. Uh, Easter is the Super Bowl of it all <laughs> for people of faith. I mean, this, this is where we're moving towards, and we love Easter. But the idea with Easter is that this conversation around church and state becomes essential because it is a timely message for us for what's about to happen for April. Jesus' whole life was leading towards Jerusalem. It was leading towards a hill, a tree, and an execution. Think about that. It says in the scripture that Jesus had his gaze set on Jerusalem. There was going to be nothing that got in his way. He was going to Jerusalem to die for you, for me. And nothing was going to deter him, including his misfit disciples who stood in the way several times and said, not on my watch, King Jesus. This is not going to go down. His disciples who had grown up in what was known as Imperial Rome and the policy of King Caesar stood in the way of what Jesus was trying to communicate and establish with his own disciples. In fact, they didn't understand what Jesus was trying to do. How dare you say that they're going to kill you? We're going to kill them. We are going to be the ones who are going to win, Jesus. Rome is not going to have its day. So raise up your arms and and swipe all of these people off the face of the earth. The disciples believed that. They were with Jesus, but they were in it to win it. I mean, they wanted to make sure that they had their say, their stand, and their whole life mattered more than what Rome had. And Jesus looked at his disciples over and over and over again, and he shook his head. Like, why are you guys not getting what I told you I am coming to do? 
I need to go to that hill. I need to go to that tree. And I need to die. And this whole thing about you trying to fight for me and try to get me so that I don't go to that end is a little bit ridiculous. They didn't get it. But why couldn't they get it? I think a lot of those disciples and their decisions are a lot like you and I when it comes to what we're about to discuss this morning. See, Jesus was administering in a new kingdom, and it looked a lot different than what Rome had given to them. And these boys didn't know what to do with it. I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. And they wanted to raise their swords up and protect the one that they love so much. Scott McKnight does say this, that when the kingdom of God comes into this world, it has political implications to it. See, what was happening is Jesus was administering the kingdom of God to this earth under the kingdom of Rome and its imperial institution. And when Jesus brings his kingdom to this earth, it's going to rub the wrong way with a lot of people. To which Jesus declares to his disciples, catch this, this is huge for us to understand when it comes to church and state. Jesus declares that he did not come to win anything. He came to lose his life. Think about that. Because some of us think that we've got to win. But Jesus himself, like our master, the king of this empire and this kingdom, he didn't come to win. He came to lose his life and to lay it down for people like you and I. And then guess what happened? Jesus died. And his disciples stood around and they thought, oh, he was serious. And it shook them to the core. And guess what they did then? They decided to go change the world because they believed what he said he would do. Now, I think here in Canada today, because my perspective is limited and I don't want to speak to the other nations of this world, but I think we've got a problem here in Canada when it comes to our political world. Now, again, wrong place to use an amen, and I'm going to tell you why. This is good. Bait and switch, right? But um, some of us in this space today, we want to talk about Trudeau. We want to talk about our other government officials and people in our cities. But that's not the problem I'm talking about today. In fact, the problem that I see in Canada right now is this. I think we have a problem with the teachings of Jesus. And I don't think we think it will work what he's asked us to do. And we got a problem. And our actions over the past couple of years have been telling. When crisis strikes, it serves as an accelerator. But you know what crisis does? It reveals what was already in our hearts anyway. And I got to tell you today, when it comes to the bride of Christ, the church, not in fullness, but I got to say it's been quite embarrassing sometimes, the things that I've seen the things that I've witnessed. And I'm asking the question today, do we actually believe in the teachings of Jesus? Do we really think that they will work? Because some of our actions have spoken otherwise. I, um, I'm going to stand on a couple of quotes, back to back to back to back, of people that I've 
read and studied through this time, and I think they're very timely messages for us. Let me spit them out, and I'm standing on the wisdom of other people, just so that you're aware of it. But Andy Stanley says that when winning replaces following, we're able to sanctify all matter of un-Jesus-like means to justify that end. We become quick to speak and slow to think. We criticize unbelievers for behaving like unbelievers. We criticize other believers without talking to them first. We rebrand slander as truth-telling. We claim, defend, and sue to ensure that our rights take priority over defending the rights of others. We believe the worst. We rejoice when our enemies stumble. Dear God, help us. William Willimon says, Our primary task is not to help the prime minister keep things running smoothly. Our political task is to be the church, criticize ourselves, our message, and our life together. Tim Keller goes on to say that when the church as a whole is no longer seen as speaking to questions that transcend politics, and when it is no longer united by a common faith that transcends politics, then the world sees strong evidence that Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx were right. And catch this, that religion is really just a cover for people wanting to get their way in the world. My overarching statement for this series is going to come from Andy Stanley one more time because it's brilliant for what I want us to understand. But are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? I think many of us, we would rather have a faith that supports my politic and then we promote that out loud rather than allowing the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which has asked us to be formatted a certain way and through that faith filter, then lead in this world when it comes to our politics. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the very first century, uh, the phrase Christian was coined. So right in the book of Acts, we have been given introduction to the word Christian. And, it, and I want us to know today that the word Christian was a political term. It wasn't even a religious one. In fact, in that first century, that Christian phrase was coined from, from Latin political terminology, the Roman uh, Empire. It was identical to other um, you know, political associations. So for instance, King Caesar, who was leading Rome at that time, the followers would be known as Caesariani. All right, so you would have that identification. King Herod was another one of those kings in those times, and you would be a Herodiani. And even King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, um, when the Christians were kind of speaking to him, he, he makes the statement, do you think that you, can quick, that you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? I mean, this guy was appalled that people would try to even call him a Christian at that time. But it was the non-Christians in Antioch where the term Christian was coined. And why they called people Christians because they were viewed as followers of Jesus as political partisans of a king. This would mark them as men and women who were anti-Roman, not anti-religious. Christians were viewed as threats to the state, not because of their belief, but who they chose to obey. You see, they had aligned themselves to a different king who rolled into town and on a donkey on what is now known as Good Friday made the declaration that I am ushering in a different kingdom. And it's not going to be with your cannons and your weapons. It is going to be in laying down the life. 
the term Christian was an accusation. Can you imagine that for a second? Walking up to somebody, you Christian, and it's a total accusation. And that's what this was in the first century. To be called a Christian was a slap in the face. And it was evident, though, because of how they believed. And I wonder today if the word Christian is an accusation again, except not so much for the things that we believe, but because of how we've behaved and how it has stung our world. These Christians resisted allegiance to Caesar, to the king of Rome, and they swore allegiance to Jesus. And you know, I don't know what that was at that stage. It was political. And they drew their line in the sand saying, I belong to somebody different. And that's exactly why Jesus went to that hill. He went to that tree to make a political statement that there was a new kingdom in town. And I want to ask you today, if you could answer this truthfully in your life, but what kingdom, what kingdom do you serve? Who do you swear allegiance to today? Do you believe the things that Jesus said when it came to this? Are you as well willing to not be in it to win it, but to lose? What does this kingdom of Jesus require of us? So never more, in my opinion, has church and state been such a moment for us as followers of Christ. There's a lot at stake here, but it all comes back down to this point. Do you really believe the things that Jesus said? Because I have four of them that I want to challenge us with when it comes to church and state for us to consider as we walk into the rest of this week. So let me do this by sharing with you Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. Again, things Jesus taught. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Notice how it doesn't say follow Justin Trudeau. It says follow me. Follow my kingdom and what I'm about to say. If you try to hang on to your life, what does it say? You will lose it. And if you lose up or if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? The first point that I think Jesus would say to us, and I wonder if you believe it or not, is when it comes to church and state, you are not in it to win it. The invitation from Jesus out of these verses is for you to lose your life, to give up your life for his kingdom and its priorities because he has an agenda for this world just like any other kingdom ruler has, even from the screen of King Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. And I have a funny suspicion today that we're afraid of losing when it comes to this politic game, yeah? We're afraid of losing. And the interesting part about that phrase of losing is that it is fear-based. But may I encourage and remind all of us here today, Jesus is still in the middle of it all. Of every party, of every leader in policy, government, Jesus is the one who's still in the middle. 
And so when winning for you and I today replaces following Jesus and his kingdom, guess what? We're in trouble. Jesus came, he died to capture other people. And have we forgot that that is what he needs of us today as well? And do you know, for the matter, that it is okay to agree to disagree? No, seriously, do you know that? Because there are a lot of people who don't believe that. And again, like I said, you could disagree with me, and then I've just made my point. You agree to disagree with me. But what I'm asking of us today, it's okay to agree to disagree, but guess what you have to still do? You still need to love people unconditionally. Because that's what Jesus did here. Let me encourage you again. Quit living in your confirmation biases. Quit forming everything to the way you believe and you just put people, put somebody else, a dissenting voice into your path. Not that you have to agree with them, but that you will welcome other people to the table and have conversations. Why? Because Jesus tells us we have to still love unconditionally with people. But number one, you are not in it to win it. The second thing that I want to read to us today comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 42, and Jesus is speaking again. And he says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over people and their officials flaunt their authority over those under them? To which you probably could say amen to that one, right? Because it's like, we feel that, we know that. But look at what Jesus says. But among you has got to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The second thing that I wonder if you believe anymore would be that serve is the only standard when it comes to church and state. The verse that Jesus just reads here is a political statement because you want to know what Jesus was doing? He looked right at Caesar. He looked right at Rome. And he said, these people are going to flaunt their stuff over you. They're going to lord their authority over you. And guess what? Even when that happens, it's not going to be the same with you. You are going to be able to serve somebody even when it doesn't make a lot of sense because among you, it's got to look different. It's got to look different today from you and I being keyboard heroes, raising our fists to fight all the time, or saying these things that make absolutely no sense, or even honking your horn. Jesus gave up his life, and as followers of him and his kingdom on earth, he requires the same of us today. So may I ask, are you serving others or are you trying to get your way and say still? It's pretty quiet in here today. Philippians 2, 1, 8. These are the only things that Jesus doesn't say with what I'm about to talk about. But they talk about Jesus. And it says this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. 
Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too, including that person who's opposed in your political party. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. Somebody say gave up. I'm just checking to see if you're still awake, first of all. But he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. These verses show us what it means to look like Jesus. Things like don't be selfish, make other people better than yourself, have an interest in other people. And do you know that your attitude matters in this place? Some of the pushback, and I understand that you will want to throw at me and you will say this, Sean, well, I have my rights. And I'm going to agree to disagree with you again right now. You have no rights. When you submit your life to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the only right that you have is to execute what he's asked you to do. That's the right we have, is to know what our Savior has said. You see, Jesus' kingdom living trumps everything in this world. Folks, you and I have not been called in Scripture to be embarrassing. We have been called to be citizens of the kingdom of God that looks differently than what this world does. And that third point is it's time for us to give up our rights. Can I make one comment on what we've seen over the last several years? Not once has this ever been about worship. Not once have you ever been asked to bow your knee to the state. Not like what they experienced in first century church under Roman persecution, Daniel and his friends under Babylonian persecution. We have not experienced that when it comes to our worship yet. We need to quit trying to weaponize our faith to make a stand and make a position. Jesus gave up his rights to serve us, and he requires the same. A good friend to me, a friend to many in this church who is sitting in the room today, gave me a quote, and it comes from Mike Monroe. And he asked this, is it more important for you to be right or to have somebody feel loved? And if this isn't the heartbeat of Jesus, what is? This is not about being in this thing to win it anymore. It is not about, you know, having to serve just because I feel like I should. And it's not about standing on your rights anymore. And it then lands us lastly to the thing that Jesus said, and I spoke it over us at the beginning, but I'm going to speak it again here. So now with all of this in mind, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I wonder if you believe with me today this fourth point, that love wins. Do you believe that Jesus is right and accurate in this? I love what Jesus says here. He goes, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Not the golden rule, love God and love neighbor. He gives them a platinum rule now. <laughs> it's, it's way better. And I want you to love 
me. And I want you to love one another. And when you do that, it leads us to a prayer that Jesus spoke over his disciples the moment he was about to ascend into heaven. John 17, 22. And Pastor Josh read from John 17 earlier, which is really neat. I had no idea he was going to do that. But it says Jesus speaking. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me and may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. It says that the world will know Jesus by our unity. But you know what the church has been really good at the last little while? It's disunity. And that's divisiveness. And that is not the character of God. You are not called today to unanimity. You know what I'm saying. You are called to unity. And may I ask you, have you been, have you possibly been divisive when it's come to your political conversation lately? Because it says that our unity is how people will know who Jesus is. Well, I thought you said, Sean, that we are not in it to win it. Well, you're correct. But when we really live out the things that Jesus said and asked of us, you want to know what happens? People come to Jesus. And isn't that what this is all about? It's about me laying down my rights, because I have none, because I belong to a new king who has given me a direction on what to do in this life. And a really long time ago, Jesus died. And his disciples were absolutely gutted. They were devastated. And then Jesus rose on that third day. And they believed him suddenly. And then they went and changed the world. I mean, I'm wondering today, what would it look like if we actually believed the things that Jesus said? Could we change the world? Folks, listen, if it happened once, it could happen again. Because we sang a song moments ago that talked about the same God, the same God who showed up in Acts, the first century church. He is the same God today. The same God who stood in front of that Roman Empire is the same God who stands in front of Canada in its policy. And he is the same God who stands in the middle and he is victorious through and through. Could it happen again? I believe it could if the church of Jesus Christ, his bride, stood up and reminded ourselves my allegiance is not to the things of this world, but my allegiance is to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King who is still in the middle. His name is Jesus. May his kingdom come. Let's pray. As I pray for you today, let me place those four points of belief in front of you one more time. And I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit of God, what do I need work on?
because you have a responsibility as a follower of Christ. Have you been in this thing to win it? Or are you willing to lose your life? Have you forgot perhaps today that serve is the only standard? Jesus gave up his life. He asks you to do the same. Perhaps you have been weaponizing your faith with trying to get your right and your way put across. And Jesus says it's time to give up your rights because you follow me. And maybe it's time to get back to a culture of unity rather than disunity and knowing it's okay to agree to disagree, but you got to love unconditionally. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you will help us. What is the action step that you have for me as I walk into this week? I pray that you will be gracious to help me in this. This is a tough conversation because it really allows all of us to look in the mirror and to say, what have I been believing and what have I been trusting? Rather than perhaps knowing that I belong to your kingdom and my king requires something different of me. So help us this week to know what to do with this. I pray for this church that you will help us to believe the things that Jesus said. As hard as they may be in this culture, you still ask us to be faithful to you as you have been so faithful to us. So help us this week to not be in it to win it, but to lose our lives for the sake of your kingdom. And with all eyes closed and heads bowed in this place, and perhaps you're online, and maybe you have never submitted your life to King Jesus. Today is an opportunity for you to say yes to him. If you're in this room, at the end of this gathering, there will be a picture on the screen that says, text the word life to 250-478-7113. And a pastor will be there to lead you to this King Jesus as you submit in allegiance to him. Or if you're online, you can click that link today and know that he is there and that we will be here to walk with you in it as well. So Father, I commit these moments to you. I ask that Holy Spirit, you would seal what needs to be locked into our hearts and you'll let everything else fall by the wayside. Help us to be your citizens of your kingdom. Help us to believe again the things that you spoke and believe in us. Give us a great week, we pray. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you head out this week, have a fantastic week. If you are brand new, you are more than welcome in just moments to join us for a meal for our first steps. Again, even if you haven't signed up, come and join us. It's going to be through these doors right here to the other side. Church, go and not be in it to win it this week. We love you, and we'll see you next week as we continue Church and State.